Welcome back to another Edge Got In podcast. Thank you for pushing that pause button to Edge Got In to your mind, your will, and those crazy emotions out there. Thank you for for taking the time to be able to be present, to be able to open your heart to see what the Holy Spirit has for you. If you've been with us for quite some time, you know that I usually ask you to pause, even if you push the pause on your recording that you're listening to today and invite the Holy Spirit to show you what is for you today. There are no accidents and God uses everything to draw people into his heart, particularly when you are open to be led in that way. So be intentional about today's podcast. Today's podcast is one that I'm extremely excited to be able to offer you as well as myself, selfishly speaking, because our battle is not against flesh and blood but against the spiritual forces of evil, waging war against our soul. And there are several podcasts at edgegodin.com that talk about spiritual warfare and how to armor up Ephesians chapter six, the Ephesians six twelve was, was the verse I just quoted to you. Um, the purpose for edge God in podcast is to champion human potential in Christ. Now, as darkness increases, it's essential that we are attentive and stand in the front lines, aware of the Holy Spirit guiding us to victory in the midst of the spiritual battles that we face in our life. So what is your spiritual battle today? Where are you feeling hijacked? Think about that for a moment before we jump in. One way to identify the areas that we are hijacked in and where those slippery serpents slither in is where we are void of peace, where we are void of that inner connection of God's love. God loves you, my friends, right where you're at. He also loves you enough not to leave you there. So as with all the podcasts, you can download the one sheet to capture your learnings at edgegodin.com. It will be connected to this podcast, which is entitled Spiritual Warfare Wisdom from an Exorcist. And I am joined today by Father Vincent Lampert, who wrote a book entitled Exorcism, The Battle Against Satan and his demons. And I don't believe that there's any accident of me coming across this at this time to be able to sh to invite you into this conversation that we will be having together on spiritual warfare. And the learning objective at the end of today's podcast is this. You will learn the devil's forms of trickery when it comes to spiritual warfare to gain entry into our lives. What does he do to trip you up? to corner you, to slowly draw you in. What does that look like? You're going to learn about that today. The trickery that the devil uses to gain entry into our lives, along with the best practices to fend him off. As I've shared before, as a, as a, a double black belt in Taekwondo, when I was in the Colorado State Championship and knocked out in the ring in under two minutes of beginning the round, I hadn't spent enough time understanding my opponent's moves, so I was knocked out instantly. The same holds true when we fall asleep, spiritually speaking, 
then the devil gets a foothold. And it's a very subtle thing that he does, but the devil's biggest muse, and this is from the book, the devil's biggest muse is to convince us that he doesn't exist. (laughs) Shazam! So he can knock us off our game. Edge got in, as you know, is the voice of Emotional Intelligence in Christ, the Emotional Intelligence in Christ Project. You can find out more information about that at emotionalintelligenceinchrist.com. Emotional intelligence is the activation of the Holy Spirit within us to help us do two things, discern and manage our emotions and behaviors in a way that honors God by loving others well as Jesus did. This is a job for Jesus, my friends. Less of us, more of him. So without further ado, I would like to share with you Father Vincent Lampert. And Father Vincent Lampert was ordained a priest for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis in 1991. He currently serves as the pastor of St. Michael, the Archangel, and St. Peter Parishes in Brookville, Indiana. In 2005, he was appointed the exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. He received his training in Rome and is a member of the International Association for Exorcists. Now, before we jump into this conversation, I'd like to just remind you of a a little information that I shared on previous podcasts. I grew up in a house that was occupied, however you'd like to say it, haunted. As you know, I've shared the stories of the the spirits that we would see appear, disappear. Uh, Rooms would drop to 30 degrees. Um, We would see an image of of a um, child in the mirror. The mirrors, things would move, lots of lots of activity. Now, after reading this book, it was it gave me some great clarity that these are um, these are unsettled spirits. And the story uh, went with the house that I grew up in, that the woman on the third floor had taken her own life after the wife of the person 125 years ago found out that uh, her husband was having an affair with a maid who lived on the third floor. She took her life on the third floor. So there was a lot of unsettled events that were happening. Now, as I shared when I accepted Christ at 17 years old, it took me a couple of years. The Holy Spirit guided me to start praying for the release of these spirits or the peace. And so I did so from that moment on. And that was quite some time in after living in the house, about 20 years. I never saw or heard anything ever again after that, even though falling asleep every night, I would hear the wandering and the, the footsteps on the floor above me constantly going on. When I accepted Christ, I experienced uh, spiritual attack. I would see demons uh, oftentimes waking up, sitting on my chest, trying to strangle me. Now, as I've mentioned before, and I'm not going to get it too much into these stories right now because I'd like to take the time to talk about our plan of attack in spiritual warfare and victory with Father Vincent. However, I will say this, that there was never any struggle as soon as I was able to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth be gone. These attacks lasted about 20 years and my life would come and go, particularly before facilitating retreats and adult learning, as well as the youth and discipleship. So what does that all say is that Satan is trying to separate us from God and prevent us from doing his mighty work. So Father Vincent 
Lampert, thank you so much for being with us on this discussion today, because it's one that's very close to my heart, but particularly as I often end the podcast, outshine the darkness. <laughs> so thank you for being with us today. Yes, Lauren, it's good to be with you. And I look forward to our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So the title of Father Vincent Lampert's book is called Exorcism, The Battle Against Satan and His Demons. I, th- I'm i reading it through the second time, my friends. Highly recommend you get your copy today. Exorcism, The Battle Against Satan and His Demons by Father Vincent Lampert. You, It's available if you just type that in. You'll find many different outlets to get it. You can order it also directly from the publisher, Emmaus Road publishing.com Emmaus road publishing.com but again the title is called exorcism the battle against satan and his demons now father vincent i pulled out five main scriptures um i accepted christ at 17 years old instantly the holy spirit put a passion for the scriptures within my heart so i'm going to start out with just declaring these scriptures before we jump in you mentioned 1 John 4, 4, he who is within you is greater than he who is within the world. Our ultimate identity, as you mentioned, comes from God. Amen. Second scripture, 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. The next scripture is, or scriptures, I should say, this is kind of our training uh, following Jesus' lead, and I love that you brought this in from Matthew 4, 1 through 11. It's also in Luke 4, where we see that Jesus uses the Holy Scriptures to defeat the devil. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Key peace. A lot of people over time have said, oh, resist the devil and he'll flee. First step is submit yourself to God, and that's a big one. Ephesians 6, 12 says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil waging war against our souls. Father, would you please open us up in a short prayer before we begin inviting the Holy Spirit to guide our conversation, because this is this is crucial training for us right now for victory over darkness. Absolutely. Loving God in a very special way, we ask your blessing upon all of us as we gather here today. We pray that this conversation may help to really turn the light of Christ on more deeply and brightly in our lives and in doing so to cast out the darkness that the devil tries to bring in. Just be with us and may, as in all things, may what we do here today bring you greater glory and honor. Amen. Amen. Now, Father, I I have to say, I, I truly enjoyed your journey and I'm picturing you in the room and as you describe in the book, when when one of one of the priests who was kind of passing the buck uh, said, "You will be taking up the exorcist position," um, and and you mentioned you looked behind you. Can you just share a little bit about that with listeners as to uh, why you, my friend? <laughs> so I was appointed back in two thousand and five by the Archbishop of Indianapolis. So Indianapolis has always had a priest designated in the ministry of exorcism. Many dioceses discontinued that practice after the Second Vatican Council, which ended in 1965. So the exorcist in Indianapolis passed away in 2005. Ironically, he was the 
pastor of the parish where I attended Catholic grade school. So never dreamed that one day I would have his job. And uh, the bishop said, I, I'm not even sure what I'm asking you to do, but we've always had a priest in this role, and I don't want to break that continuity. The bishop, ironically, had been the rector of the seminary in southern Indiana, St. Minory College. So I knew him, and he said he was looking for a priest who believed in the reality of evil, but one he thought would not be too quick to believe that everyone who reached out to me who believed they were dealing with the demonic, that that was actually the case. So he was looking for a priest he thought would bring a good, well-balanced approach to this ministry. So he selected mm -hmm. me. When I was appointed, I became one of only 12 Catholic priests designated as exorcists in the United States. And the church says the best way to learn is through the apprenticeship model, working under a seasoned exorcist. And since there really wasn't anyone here in the States to uh, study under, the bishop sent me to Rome, where I had the opportunity to uh, train over three months with a Franciscan priest who allowed me to sit in on 40 exorcisms that he performed. And that allowed me to learn firsthand the church's ministry towards those who were dealing with the forces of evil and who were seeking the help of the church. What I find really interesting too that you mentioned is is you will get thousands of requests, and it's not just from Catholics; it's from Protestants, and it's also from from other religions. Can you speak a little bit about that? When my bishop appointed me, he gave me permission to be public in the role. Many priests who are exorcists prefer to remain anonymous, but my bishop said that if I was comfortable going public, he thought it would be a great opportunity to evangelize people and to help people truly understand what the church believes and teaches about the reality of evil. And exorcism is a ministry of charity. So the church would help anyone who reaches out to her, regardless of their faith tradition, even if they have no faith tradition whatsoever. Because mm -hmm. I'm public in the role, I currently receive about 3,500 requests a year whether it's phone calls, letters, and emails from people all over the world who believe they're dealing with the demonic and are looking for a way to escape that darkness and to come into the light of Christ. You, you, said, you shared in the book that exorcism allows people to know the truth, that anyone who wants to be found can never be lost to God. Yeah, that because that's really what's unique about Christianity. I like to tell people is that Christianity is not about our search for God. It's about God's search for us. Mm. God is always taking the first step. If you recall the story in the book of Genesis, after Adam and Eve had sinned, God is the one who moves to the garden and calls out and says, Adam, where are you? Certainly God knew where he was. But God was giving Adam an opportunity to acknowledge his sinfulness. And I would even say that when Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, that was actually a form of grace that God was extending to humanity. Because if Adam and Eve had approached the tree of life in the state of original sin, then there would have been no hope for redemption. So God sends them out into the wilderness. He casts them out of the garden. And then God immediately begins a plan to go and search for lost humanity. 
If you recall in the New Testament, right after Jesus is baptized, this Holy Spirit drives him into the desert. And why does he go into the desert, the wilderness? I would suggest because he's going in search of lost humanity. But he first has to contend with the one who caused the fall of humanity, namely Satan himself. So Jesus encounters the devil there in the desert. He overcomes that temptation. And then he begins his public ministry of searching for lost humanity. You think of the story of the good shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes in search of the lost one. Well, the lost one is lost humanity. The woman with the 10 coins and searches her house, you know, until she finds it. Well, that lost coin is lost humanity. So Christianity is really about people coming to a depth of understanding that God's love for the human person is so great that God always takes the first step or makes the first move to go and search for lost humanity. And certainly when God finds us, then we have to make that choice to either let him in or to keep the door closed. In the book of Revelation, it talks about how Jesus stands at the door and knocks. So he's come looking for us, but we have to open the door and let him in. Hmm. That is just profound. You know, I'm going to be listening to this podcast many times just for me to take this in, because this, this is, this is the simplicity that drew me when I was 17. I was hijacked by the world before that, but then I saw a group of people that were followers of Jesus and they, they shined, they, they witnessed to a way of life of living from the inside out versus the outside in that I wanted. And so I asked them more about it and they shared uh, very similar phrases and words and invitations that God, God loves us and he is the hound from heaven and he will go to great extents to find that one lost sheep. And I, I saw myself as that lost sheep and perhaps listener you're coming today. Perhaps you're just seeking Nothing else is working for you. And so you're, see you're seeking to be found. The title is very intentional, Edge God In, not out. Because our ego, our selfishness, it edges God out. And so this is an incredible conversation to be having today. For anyone who's, who's tuning in that is feeling lost and wanting to be found. Father, you shared a a, a story um, that really stuck with me. Now, now I shared briefly about my my own personal experience with demons, and um, I, I loved your your description of the difference between evil and restless spirits. Right. Um, however, un let, let's start at the beginning when you were in Rome. You shared a story, and I and I I would love for you to share it with listeners that really made me think because um, it goes along the lines with when you said in an exorcism, the focus is always on Jesus power and authority and never on self. And it's always, always about recovering and restoring the person's soul to the love of God. And that was very clear through this. And this story, I'm going to make a couple of comments about it after you share it, but it was the one where you were sitting in the room and the priest just walked in, had a plastic bag, had a, had a, had a thing of um, paper towels. Can you share that story? That was the very first exorcism that I set in on. Mm. So when I was in Rome, I would travel out to the church of St. Lawrence outside the walls. So about a 15-minute 
bus ride from the Fountain of Trevi, for those who may be familiar with the city of Rome. And this church was surrounded by one of the largest cemeteries in Rome. And I, I arrive and I, I meet Father Carmine, the priest who's training me for the first time. He spoke no English whatsoever. And he welcomed me in and I went into a room and he meet, immediately introduced me to this Italian lady who was there with her husband. And the lady began telling me that she became possessed because she had been cursed by a family member. And I'm listening and talking to her and I'm thinking, well, this doesn't seem so bad. But during our conversation, Father Carmine, he, he walked into the room and he placed a roll of paper towels on the table. Then he walked back out again and he came back in again and he tied a plastic grocery bag onto the wall radiator. And then he walked back out again and I'm talking to this lady and looking at Father Carmine out of one corner of my eye thinking, what in the world is he doing? <laughs> and then he comes back into the room and, you know, being a Franciscan priest, he's wearing these brown robes. Mm -hmm, he I puts a that. purple stole over his shoulders, which is a sign of the priestly office and also a sign of healing. And he has the rite of exorcism in his hand and he picks up holy water and I'm talking to this lady, and she seems very fine to me. And as soon as the drops of holy water hit her forehead, the demon manifested. Her eyes rolled in the back of her head. She began to growl and snarl. Her eyes refocused with the, the most awful, evil, hateful look that I've ever seen, staring right at me, growling and foaming at the mouth. And Father Carmine reached over, and he tore off a paper towel. And he wiped the foam off the lady's mouth. He threw it in the plastic bag on the wall radiator. And he just continued to pray. It was almost like, game on, business as usual. Let's get rid of this demon. He was unfazed. And of course, I'm thinking to myself, what in the world has my bishop gotten me into? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And then then she began to levitate. Right. And she and he didn't even he didn't even bat an eye, put his hand on her head and just pushed her down to the chair. Yeah. The, the uh, you know, whenever someone's possessed, it's always important to make the distinction between that person as someone created in the image and likeness of God. And now the demon that's treating that body as if it were its own. So mm -hmm. it wasn't the lady that levitated. It was the demon. Thank so you. So the demon began to levitate. And. This hideous grin looking right at me, basically saying, look at me, look at my power, look at what I'm capable of doing. And I'm looking at this kind of incredulous, like, what in the world am I seeing? And Father Carmine, again, he's praying. He's got the rite of exorcism in his hand, and he glances and notices that the demon is now levitating. Without even pausing in the prayer, he reaches over and he takes his right hand. He puts it on the head of the body of this lady, and then he pushes the demon right back into the chair. Not once did he even pause for a moment in the prayers that he was saying. And the look on his face almost said, like, really, that's the best you can do? And then he just yeah. continued to, to do the rite of the church. And she was restored, if I recall. Absolutely. Absolutely. The demon was pushed down into the chair. He continued to pray, and, and the demon was cast out. And the, the power of God is always greater than the power of evil. Absolutely. I've, I've you know, seen in, an exorcism, in an exorcism, 
you know, the demon is saying, look at me. But in an exorcism, the priest is saying, no, look at God. And anytime we shift our focus away from the devil onto the power of God, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we already know how it's going to end. The, de the devil will always be defeated. You know, as I mentioned uh, in the beginning of this, when I accepted Christ and turned my life over to him, I, I really had a Paul Saul conversion. I was really hijacked by the world, involved with a lot of dark things. And in an instant, when I surrendered my life to Christ, everything changed. In fact, I went back my senior year and and people said, what happened to Lauren? You know, she's not cursing like a sailor anymore. She's going to Bible study on Friday nights. I mean, it was a, it was a very, very uh, Acts chapter nine experience for me and never went back. Along with that came these attacks where I would wake up and literally see a demon sitting on my chest, strangling me. And yet this is the strange thing. I didn't have any fear. I just knew what I had to do. I knew I had to say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, be gone. As soon as I could get those words out, it was gone. Can you talk a little bit more about that in terms of the power of Christ and perhaps bring in the scripture that you mentioned with the pigs and the legion when Jesus came to shore? There was no battle. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that um, for listeners to understand that. Now, it's the power of the word of God, and we know that Jesus is the word made flesh, the incarnation, you know, God's word and God himself in human form. So in Mark's gospel, chapter five, that's the story of the Gerasene demoniac. Jesus arrives in that gathering territory. He steps out of the boat. He's encountered by a man possessed uh, by legion. He's living in the tombs. Shackles won't even hold him. The demons begin to speak. It's interesting that demons speak going from speaking in the singular to the plural, which yes. is an indication that when somebody is possessed, it's not a question of one demon, but multiple demons, you know, such as, well, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Have you come against us before the appointed time? So demons go back and forth from speaking in the singular to the plural. And then in this case, Jesus simply begins to rebuke them. You know, they try to feign showing some remorse and they plead to be sent into the swine, which they go into the swine, but then they show their true colors because then the swine are driven over, you know, the cliff and they drown in the lake, which is really what demons want. They want our death and destruction. And they demonstrate mm -hmm. that in the way they treated these poor creatures. But then the man who's now free from legion he wants to follow Jesus, but Jesus says no. Now, how often does Jesus tell someone not to follow him? It's like never. Absolutely. So it's a very teachable moment. Jesus says to him, no, go home to your family. Jesus takes a man who was living amongst the dead in the tombs, and he places him back amongst the living. And that's really the ministry of Jesus. I, I would even suggest that Jesus's ministry is one of exorcism. He came to free people from the darkness of Satan's grip and to bring us back into the light. That's why one of my, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is right out of the book of Genesis when God says, let there be light. And I think in the ministry of exorcism, what the church is doing is turning the light of Christ on into the lives of people who are trapped in darkness. And whenever that light comes on, it's like a house infested with bugs. In fact, I like to say that Satan is like a cockroach. 
when you turn the light of Christ on, he's going to flee for every crack and crevice that he can find. Amen. Because Amen. he cannot stand to be in the light. And really, that's what the church wants to do. You know, mm -hmm. one might say that even in exorcism, the church is commanding the devil to return that which he has stolen, namely a person created in the image and likeness of God. And maybe that person had been trapped in darkness and did not fully understand their true identity as a child of God. But once they come to realize that through the light of Christ, the devil will always flee. Now, he may try to put up some type of a fight. You know, you gave the example, Lauren, of maybe the demon sitting on your chest. Mm -hmm. You know, the devil was like, wait a minute, you're mine. Exactly. How dare you try to get away? So there's That's kind exactly. of a, a struggle or a fight. Mm -hmm. But if one truly surrenders their life to Christ, where do you know how it's going to end? That's it. Christ yeah. will always be victorious. Mm. I, I appreciate what you said too. And, and there's another story I'd like you to share just, just to back this up that Satan wants you to be like, look at me, look at my power, look at what I can do, be afraid. And you shared another story and, and, and please let me know in terms of the, the details around it, but it was the woman who came to you to be freed and, all of a sudden her eyes turned like a serpent and the demon, I, I appreciate you saying that, that it's not the person, it's the demon within them, ran to the bathroom, locked themselves in the bathroom. Do you remember that story? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So can so you get the fuller, one. yeah, like the fuller story around that? So this was a lady who uh, a, a priest actually brought her to see me. And she said that she had been praying in a cemetery. She would go at midnight with her friends, and they were trying to conjure up spirits of the dead in the cemetery. And in doing so, you know, she attracted the attention of demons who eventually possessed her. So I'm talking to her and the priest. And just because somebody's possessed doesn't mean they're manifesting all the time. Absolutely. It, it means that something will trigger the demon to show itself. Now, demons really don't want to show themselves because they realize that when they do manifest, then they understand that the battle against them will begin. And because the power being used to defeat them is the power of God, they know they will be defeated. But they're very arrogant, and they can't accept the fact that they're being commanded to do something by a creature they consider to be inferior to themselves. I even had a priest friend tell me he was doing an exorcism. And the demon said to him, you stupid monkey, who are you to tell me what to do? But in this case, this lady, she said she had to go to the bathroom. She went down the hallway and then I'm talking with the other priest and we hear this howl and a scream come from the bathroom. And we go down there and we get the door open and the demon is staring back at us with this hideous look and grin. Blood is gushing forth from the woman's mouth because the demon had bit her lower lip and then took the woman's hand put it in the blood, and then drew a pentagram on the mirror there in the bathroom. So I'm looking at this scene with a demon staring at me, the blood pouring out of the mouth, and then the blood in the form of a pentagram back on the mirror in the bathroom. And again, the demon was basically saying, look at me, look at my power. You are nothing to go up against this type of power. But it's always important. I tell this people all the time. If people are relying on me, we're all in trouble. But if you are relying on the power of Christ, which is present in, you know, the church's ministers, that's the right mentality to have. But I don't have any special powers or abilities. I don't have any 
bag of tricks that I use. It's really the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that will always defeat the evil one. Hmm. What is the Greek word for exorcism? Exorcismos. Exorcismos. Hmm. It literally is a, uh, it means to bind with an oath. It can be a command given to a demon or a prayer directed to God. So a major exorcism or an imperative exorcism would be a command given to a demon. There can be a supplicating or minor exorcism, which is a prayer directed to God, such as God, see how your servant is suffering. Please come to their aid and give them the freedom that they seek. So it, it would be a question of who is being addressed. God, supplicating exorcism, or the demon itself, which would be a major or an imperative exorcism. Hmm. You know, I, 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 I work with a lot of people um, in the area of uh, oppression, negative thoughts, um, intrusive thoughts, intrusive negative thoughts. And um, you had mentioned, and it's just coming to me right now, I'm sure you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about, but you had mentioned there's an area within us that, that cannot be occupied by evil, that belongs to God. Um, and yet Satan prowls around, as we know, like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And, and I believe that there's that connection to Romans chapter 12, do not conform to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Yet many of us, and I'm sure listeners, you can relate to that, experience intrusive negative thoughts. How is that? How does Satan use that? as trickery to gain entry into our lives, you know, even if it's not a full possession, but yet will his goal is to kill, steal, and destroy, to kill our purpose, steal our peace, and destroy our identity. So how does that link in to to the, the devil's trickery? Yeah, you know, the, the human soul belongs to God alone. And of course that's what the devil would like to obtain. We We've heard comments before, maybe somebody sells their soul to the devil. But in order to sell our soul to the devil, we would basically have to tell God to get out. You know, we all have free will. We can make the choice for God and invite him in to live in the realm of God or to tell God to get out. And God will always respect our free will. But the devil is always going to use, you know, trickery and treachery. Oftentimes, when people think of demonic activity, they think of it in the extraordinary forms, you know, demonic possession, which we've been talking about. There can also be demonic infestation, the presence of evil in a location or associated with an object, voodoo doll, Ouija board, something of that effect. It can, there can also be demonic vexation, which are physical attacks. People are getting marks and bites and bruises on their body, which are caused by a demon. There can be demonic obsession, which are mental attacks. Literally, the devil's trying to get inside of someone's head so that everything that they're thinking is being filtered through the presence of the devil. Now, many of us will never have to worry about extraordinary demonic activity, but all of us do need to be aware of how the devil tries to trip us up in the ordinary circumstances of our life. And when it comes to the ordinary activity of the devil, I like to say that he uses a four-stage plan of attack against us. Uh, the words all begin with the letter D. It 
begins with deception, which leads to division, which leads to diversion, which leads to discouragement. So deception, the devil gets us to buy into his lies, his trickery. And whenever that happens, the end result, we find ourselves broken or divided. Adam and Eve gave into the, the deception of the serpent. And what did they do? They went and hid. And it's interesting that whenever Adam and Eve were together in that sense of community, they were stronger. But when they were separated is when they were more vulnerable. And that really speaks about the importance of church, the importance of community in combating what the devil is trying to do. So when people give into the lies, the deception, it leads to division. We find ourselves broken. Now, what should we be doing in the midst of all of this? Repenting, because God is always ready to forgive. But we have to ask for it. But when we're broken and we're trying to put the pieces of our lives back together, it leads to diversion. People will look for a substitute for God. Think of the ancient Israelites who, when Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, they began to worship the golden calf, hmm. a God of their own making. And where did that diversion eventually lead them? Discouragement. So deception leads to division, which leads to diversion, which leads to discouragement. And I do think there are more people discouraged today than there are people who are depressed. And to be <laughs> discouraged means people lack any meaningful purpose and direction in their life. And I think when we arrive at discouragement, it's a crossroads. One pathway will always lead to death, complete spiritual death. Think of the number of people today who now profess to be an atheist, even though they grew up in a traditional Christian home. But sometimes that death can even be physical. And I just look at the growing trend of suicide in our society today. But as Christians, we're always called to remain hopeful. And the other pathway leads to discipleship. We have an awakening in our life. We realize that something is missing and that something is none other than God himself. So, Lauren, when you talked about at the age of 17, accepting Christ, to me, you were at that crossroads and you realized that you needed something else. And then you made the choice to turn to Christ. And that's ultimately what all of us need to be able to do. As you mentioned in the book, um, and I've, I have these words written down, deception, division, diversion, and discouragement. Um, because again, in order for us to have victory in the ring in spiritual warfare, it's essential to know what our opponent uses as trickery to be able to uh, gain entry, as you mentioned. Um, you also mentioned that we're living in a unique moment of human history where people are choosing to move in the wrong direction. You mentioned that um, there's a loss of a sense of sin and that there are three guiding principles in society today. One, people believe that you may do as you wish. Two, no one has the right to command you. And three, you are God of yourself. And this leads to individualism. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I do think that's where a lot of people find themselves today. We we want to be in charge, but freedom in the true sense of the word means to be obedient to God, to live in the manner that God created us to live. So when we live in the manner that God created us to live, that's freedom in the true sense of the word. When we start to believe that freedom means we can do whatever we want, then we end up becoming slaves to our own passions and desires. So people who live by those three guiding principles that you just mentioned, 
You may do whatever you wish. No one has the right to command you. You are the God of yourself. These people do not understand that that's not true freedom. Ultimately, they become slaves to their own passions and desires. Hmm. You know, it was Pope Benedict who a few years ago made the comment that when God is denied, human freedom is not enhanced, but is deprived of its basis and thus becomes distorted. So I do think there is a great distorted notion of what it really means to be free in the world today. Hmm. Somehow a lot of people believe that, you know, if you believe in God, that somehow that's kind of tempering human freedom. But the opposite is what's really true. When we are obedient to God, then we discover what it truly means to be free. And I think that's something the devil does not want us to discover. And he uses, he uses, uh, you, you had mentioned playing the devil's game and you have a whole chapter on that. Um, and just in the interest of time, you had mentioned, uh, eight different things, right. That, um, the devil uses to, to trap us, to snag us. Um, one of them is the occult and, and, and I, there's, there's eight, eight of them in here. So, so listeners, I encourage you again to get the book exorcism, the battle against Satan and his demons by father Vincent Lampard, uh, for, for the interest of time, I'd like you to just touch on the world of the occult and the, um, the electronic world, or I, I forget how you mentioned it, but the the, uh, the entertainment industry. Yes, there you go, there you go. So, can you explain how Satan is using both of those to gain entry into our lives? Yes, there's a great fascination with the occult today. So, when you think of the world of the occult, uh, think of magic and witchcraft, the use of pendulums, going to see a psychic or a medium using a crystal. You know, in the world of the occult, there is a power behind all these things. But the power behind the world of the occult is the power of the evil one. So when people engage in these activities, they're making themselves more vulnerable to the devil himself. Like, for example, like a psychic or a medium, the church would say that these people do not have the power they claim to have because it's outside of human nature. It's always the power of evil working in and through them. And either they know it and they go along with it, or they've been duped by the evil one in believing that they have power, but in reality, again, is coming from the devil himself. You know, the Bible is very clear in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 10 through 12. You must never practice black magic, be a witch, a sorcerer, cast spells, or, you know, ask demons for help and conjure the spirits of the dead and whatnot. Whoever does these things is disgusting in the eyes of the Lord. So that world of the occult, I think, is probably the dominant way that a lot of people are opening themselves up to the forces of evil. And then the, the other one that I mentioned is the entertainment industry. It does seem that the devil today has become a rather charismatic figure. You know, people are rejecting God as kind of being a boring figure, if you will. But the devil is kind of seen as more chic. And so you see a lot of people, you know, you look at the entertainment industry, there's a lot of movies out there that have to do with the devil. There's a, a lot of them that just came out recently. It's the 50th anniversary of the original movie, The Exorcist. So The Exorcist Believer came out, you know, The Pope's Exorcist, Nefarious. There just seems to be a great fascination with the devil today, 
you look at different types of literature, video games, and all kinds of IT gadgets, there's a very strong demonic component to them all. And the danger with the entertainment industry is that the devil can play on a person's memory and imagination. So when we're putting all of this demonic stuff into our minds, into our brains, then we're actually giving the devil fuel, if you will, that he can use to attack us. And and that's that's prevalent even in in uh, video games. Um, you had mentioned a story where uh, the the parents, I believe, were um, concerned about their daughter being influenced uh, by an evil spirit. And you went into the house and suggested removing uh, some things. And uh, they asked you to leave because they said they were expensive and they didn't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. they chose gadgets over their own daughter's uh, welfare. Mm. And that's that's a very powerful uh, invitation for us to look at what we are allowing in our lives and what we are spending our time, attention, and focus on. I remember um, recently in the last year, someone had mentioned a simple focus. Does this activity draw me closer to God? And simply having that in, in your, your forefront, in your mind, whatever we choose to do and how we spend our time, just simply mm -hmm. pausing and, and asking, does this choice of spending my time draw me closer to God or push me away? Yeah. And I think to take it a step further, people should ask themselves, is this action or activity consistent with being a Christian? Because mm. I think sometimes there's a lot of worldly aspects that we may get involved in that are really contrary to our Christian beliefs. Probably the primary one that I'm always asked is like the practice of yoga. Mm. You know, there's nothing wrong with exercise, but the danger would be somebody get involved with a spirituality that's associated with it because mm. the word yoga means to yoke and the question is what are we yoking ourselves to i mean jesus says you know my yoke is easy and my burden light and we're called to yoke ourselves to him so that we can act as one if you will mm. but what is one yoking themselves to if it's not christ you know mm. i'm not making a judgment on any other faith traditions but i do think any christian should ask themselves is this practice, is this thought or action consistent with being a Christian? And if not, then I think we should be ridding those things out of our lives. Mm, absolutely. And and that brings brings us to to the last topic. And and that is what are some best practices to fend off the devil? That's a great question because oftentimes people think they have to do something extraordinary mm -hmm. to defeat the devil. But it's the ordinary aspects of our Christian faith that will always keep the devil at bay. So we should always honor and worship God, you know, Catholics go to mass, you know, whether one might be an Orthodox Christian or belong to a Protestant faith tradition, honor and glorify God, you know, know the word of God. So read the Bible, spend time in prayer. If your faith tradition has the sacraments of the church, you know, celebrating the sacramental life of the church, and then knowing and living your faith. So again, the very ordinary things, you know, I, I jokingly always like to say people come to me and they say, well, I feel like I'm dealing with the devil. And I'm like, okay, go to church and pray and read the Bible. And they look at me like I'm crazy. But if I were to tell them to do something extraordinary, 
if I go out at the next night of the full moon and you know, <laughs> hop on one leg and howl and swing a dead cat around your head, they would look at me and go, where did I get the cat? So, so people are always willing to do the extreme, but I couldn't say it enough that the ordinary aspects of our faith, just living out that commitment will always protect and safeguard us. You know, Paul's letter to the Ephesians again, putting on the armor of Christ. If we're doing that, we don't have anything to fear. You had mentioned with that, because as we as we worship God, as we as we gather together, as we strengthen our faith through the scriptures, which are sharper than any double-edged sword, which pierce soul, heart, and marrow, and it's Jesus' lead in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 on how to defeat the devil, to use scripture, memorize scripture, meditate, camp on it, um, is such a powerful, uh, simple practice, as you said. And yet, uh, one that is is very easily overlooked. You had mentioned that one of the biggest areas uh, for victory is faith. Can you say a few sentences around that? Absolutely. You know, perfect faith will cast out fear. If we truly have faith, that we have nothing to be afraid of, not even the devil himself. You know, mm-hmm. and faith means that we're putting our complete trust in God. You know, to be a person of faith doesn't mean your life is going to be a bowl of cherries, mm. but it does mean that you recognize that God is with you. And because God is with you, you can face anything this life throws your way. You know, I think of Psalm 23, where it says, even though I walk through the dark valley. So God never promised that we wouldn't experience darkness in life, but he did promise that it would be only temporary and that he would be with us as we go through that. And then as a result of that experience, we would even be stronger than we were before. I always tell people that if you feel like you're being, if you're under a demonic attack, don't run away from the devil, run towards him and use him to your advantage. If the devil has allowed you to see a weakness in your spiritual armor, then you now know exactly where you need to put in more effort to grow in faith, virtue, and holiness. You know, any enemy is going to size you up and say, ah, here's your weak point. That's where I'm coming for you. So if the devil has allowed you to see a weakness in your spiritual armor, use that to your advantage. Hmm. You had mentioned uh, on page 139 of your book that the first letter of John says, as you mentioned, perfect love casts out all fear. Love deepens our faith. And what lies at the heart of our faith is not demonology, but Jesus Christ. That's such a powerful uh, way to end our conversation today. Our focus must always be on him and him alone, not on what the demons are trying to do to us. Demons have no power over us except that which we surrender to them. They can propose, but they cannot impose, as you say. Mm -hmm. And this is our greatest defense. And, and yeah, as you it, said, to run back, run into the storm, not away from it. Yeah. And we can never say the devil made me do it. Hmm. We can, we, that's a bad statement in my mind, because again, the devil can propose that we do something, but he can't impose it on us. You know, he didn't take the forbidden fruit and cram it down Eve's throat. Hmm. He presented to her as something good so that she would make the choice for that. So he proposed, but then it was free will that uh, will determine 
whether we stand firm in our commitment to God or we succumb to the temptations of the evil one. And then as soon as we succumb, what's the devil doing? He's the great accuser. You know, Satan means the accuser. He's the one who says, ah, ha, ha, look, you thought you were somebody so great. And look how really weak you are because you gave into this temptation. Hmm. That is such a, a cycle that hijacks people. You know, take a bite. Go ahead, take a bite. And as soon as they, they, as soon as you take a bite, and then he's like, "Look at you! Look how weak you are! You took a bite!" And so it's it's a wicked, wicked, uh, diabolic cycle that Satan uses. He's the great accuser, slanderer, poser. Um, and 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 just one comment around: Why is the devil's biggest muse to convince us that he doesn't exist? Because then he can just work in the shadows. Hmm. You know, you know, if we don't believe the devil exists, then, you know, we can kind of just have free reign to to do whatever we want, maybe to act independently from God and then somehow believe that evil is nothing more than humanity's inhumane treatment of one another but not personified in what we call the devil. And there's a lot of people, I think, today that have succumbed to that mentality. They'll say, well, the devil is just a metaphor. Belief in the devil is a throwback to, you know, the time of Jesus or the Middle Ages, a time to when mental health issues weren't well understood. But the devil is real. And I think when we act as if he's not real, then I think we give him the upper hand. But when we acknowledge that he does exist and we drag him into the light of christ then we know he can be defeated hmm. greater is he who lives in us than the one that's in the world amen amen to that father thank you so much for for your wisdom and again our title our title for today's podcast and if you've enjoyed it in terms of gaining insight and waking up inside into some areas that the Holy Spirit wants to deal with you in and free you from, please share this podcast. It's entitled Spiritual Warfare Wisdom from an Exorcist. And um, the book that we've been discussing is called Exorcism, The Battle Against Satan and His Demons by Father Vincent Lampert. It's available at EmmausRoadPublishing.com and other places as well. If you uh, just put a search on that. Father, would you please close us in, in prayer for protection? Yes. I don't, I don't know if your listeners can hear the church bells from my church ringing in the background, but I think that's rather appropriate because it's meant to remind us that we need to wake up to the importance of our own relationship with Christ and inviting the Holy Spirit in. Mm. And that's a great way to end in prayer. So loving God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together. We pray that in this conversation, we have glorified your holy name, that we have challenged people to really wake up and to consider inviting you more deeply into their lives. Because wherever you, Holy Spirit, are present, we know that an unclear, unclean spirit cannot remain. So just be with us, be with all of our listeners, and draw us more closely to you. Amen. Mm, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father, for your time, for being with us today, and just for the wisdom and, and the ministry that you do to stand against darkness and bring the light of Christ's love into people's lives to set them free. Uh, please continue to pray for me, and I will pray for you. And listeners, again, that book, The Exorcism, The Battle Against Satan and His Demons, 
man, you got to put your big boy pants on to read this, my friends, <laughs> and mark it up and draw into the Holy Spirit. So thank you, Father. Have a blessed day. And thank you for the work uh, of Jesus' love that you're doing in this world. It's been a pleasure, Lauren. God bless you and the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Well, listeners, outshine the darkness. And we look forward to connecting on our next podcast. God bless you today.